This is Maurice Philogene, and welcome to the Try Life Farm podcast. Well, you may not believe it, but I've been an actor. I've tried out for the NFL, been a street cop, federal agent. I worked my way up the military chain of command to the rank of lieutenant colonel. I was also an executive at a global consulting firm, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of real estate in the United States. I've started developing on a Mediterranean island, and to boot, I've traveled to 100 countries over 300 times, and generally all this stuff at the same time. No, I'm not trying to be everywhere. I'm not trying to do everything. What I was trying to do, and I'm still trying to do, is to try life on, to plug into planet and earth as intended, and to fill my life book with experiences and relationships, and not just accept the status quo. So what we're gonna do on this podcast is introduce you to the mindset, the skill set, the soul set, the approach that is Try Life On, and expose you to the people who've been doing it just like me, their tools, their tips, their tactics to trying life on, because we all can try life on in our own way. So sit back, relax, let's go for a ride. Let's go try life on. How you doing, Try Life On family? Welcome back for another episode. This was a good one. It's a different one. I spoke to my man, Joshua Gillow. Joshua is what I call, or what I've been told to call, an outdoor entrepreneur. He runs an outdoor landscaping business, but he is well beyond just a landscaper. I want to make that very clear. What was so cool about my conversation with him is he expressed, and you should pay attention to, how he became an entrepreneur. It was actually his parents who had zero education, zero entrepreneurial background, that decided to make a leap of faith and start down the entrepreneurial track. It's it's an amazing story. The other things I want you to pay attention to is how Josh's mindset and money blueprint has shifted over time. He's from rural Pennsylvania. Everything he knew about money was what we typically know. We make money, we spend it, and we save what's what's left. But he did exactly what I preached to you guys, which is you have to take money, whether you're working a W-2 regular job or you're an entrepreneur or you own a business, you have to take a good portion of that money, store it. And when you have enough in storage to buy an asset, you buy an asset, piece of real estate, stock, gold, whatever. The reason is you want persistent assets. You want revenue that will continue to come long after that job doesn't want you there anymore. And he did that. So listen to how he took money from his entrepreneurial landscaping business and put it into real estate at price points that were between 60 and 80K. Everyone is talking about how real estate is so expensive, but he's got himself 67 doors on average of 60K a door. He's crushing it. Check that out. Please listen to that. He also talks about the value of mentors in his journey and the value of faith in his journey. He talks about his beautiful wife, who's German comes from a different background. It Listen, it was just a wide-reaching conversation on how you can try life on, the mindset to trying life on, how money plays a role in it. People are going to read the description of this particular interview and see landscape architect or whatever the team is going to put in the show description. It's beyond that. Sit back, go for a ride with my man, Joshua Gillow, who has figured some stuff out about life. And at 43 years of age, he is financially free and he is living his way. He still works his butt off but he employed some of the principles we talk about all the time to trying life on, to building a business, to being entrepreneurial, to recognizing that financial freedom is a very attainable goal and to pick a path on how to do it. And the biggest thing that will come out, he just jumped. At some point, you just get enough information. You just jump. You take a leap of faith. You scrape and have scratches on the way down, but eventually your wings open and you are just floating in the ether. This was a great conversation. I just didn't expect it. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. 
Have a listen to my man, Joshua Gillow. Well, my man, Joshua Gillow, welcome to the Try Life On podcast, brother. Thank you, Maurice. Thank you for the opportunity to chat. It's, it's my pleasure. And you and I were talking offline. I was articulating a bit that a lot of people who do listen to this podcast have aspirations to be a solopreneur, entrepreneur, are looking for something different to do other than the standard professional path, if you will. Nothing wrong with standard paths. It's not that. It's just that other people have different aspirations for life. And you've had a very unique let's say very unique go of being kind of an outdoor entrepreneur as you were described to me. So let's just start there. Like who, who are you? What do you do? And how did you get into your space? And I, I think it'll be a great one for folks to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. So I started, I was born and raised in uh, cornfields of Pennsylvania, middle of nowhere. My school was like 45 minutes away and I was the first in the bus and the last off and not a lot of neighbors <laughs> around. Anyway, my mother decided to start a garden center. My mother and father, you know, I have a brother that's 18 months younger than me. They started this, my mother wanted to start a garden center when I was five years old. You know, my yeah. brother and I were getting close to getting out of the house and she was, you know, becoming bored. So she started that. Anyway, she started doing that, started creating customer base. And the next thing you know, we had a first family business, right? And and my father, eventually, he, he was a meat cutter. He was, he worked in the, the meat department at a local grocery store. He decided to quit that and start with her. And so my brother and I grew up in a model with two entrepreneurial parents who had no parents of entrepreneurial background, none. They had no experience in this. Wow. They were just brazen enough to say, you know what, we want to do this and we're going to do this. And to see their their journey, to witness their journey firsthand from, they didn't have business experience. They didn't go to school for this. They, didn't, they just said, we have a want to be in our, to drive our own bus. And to create mm -hmm. our own destiny. And that's exactly what they did. They went from one little greenhouse off the back of the house to a 10 acre facility that 40 years later, Maurice, is still up and running. And wow. it taught us so much about business and all the right things and wrong things to do. There were lots yeah. of those, right? Because there's no book for it, right? You get your no. EIN number and the government says, have fun, pay taxes. You figure the rest out. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it was so interesting. Thing to grow up and learn how to help customers, to add value, to to build. Like we built everything with our hands, right? So we couldn't afford to go out and hire people to build greenhouses, hire people to do this stuff. Everything was mm -hmm. done by our hands. My father's background was a farmer. My mother came from uh, like a city life, so kind of they they merged. She loved nature and loved the the more country environments they decided to move there and yeah. they just did what they knew and they had families surrounding them and it, it, they everyone helped each other and it was just a beautiful thing but we had no idea what the hell we were doing but what Good. was dad so dad was a dad was a farmer okay so he was he was doing the outdoor thing already you just kind of and I'm, i want to bring it back because you said you had two entrepreneurial parents but they i want people listen to this no background no entrepreneurial background no business Zero. background no maybe formal schooling background in space, but they went the entrepreneurial route. They just jumped on it. Yes. How, how? I mean, was, was life pushing them to do it? Was it a dire need? Was it a, we need the money? What, like, what was the why behind it for them? I honestly don't know exactly what it was, but if I had to think about that and had to come yeah. up with a reason, I would say that my mother, she was a stay-at-home mom. Her kids are going off to school. She loved to raise plants. So she said, why not start selling them? And she saw a second revenue stream, right? She's like, holy moly, like we could actually make money doing this. And I know mm -hmm. my father was getting tired of working for a company and his job was going further and further from the house. So longer commutes. And that wasn't in his blood either. So he's, right. I think he saw an opportunity and he had to make a massive decision. 
whether he's going to leave something comfortable is we'll call it corporate. It's not corporate, whatever his job is W2. And he's going to go into something that had no certainty whatsoever. So he goes from certainty to uncertainty immediately by making that decision. Right. And he had to have blind faith to do that. Not just blind faith in, you know, that, that it'll work, but blind faith in that he would figure it out. And he's the kind of guy that, and, and my mother too, they're, they're both the kind of people that said, you know what, we have faith in God. We know this is going to work. We just mm-hmm. have to hold on, right? It's, and just just do it. And yeah. to see that, to be witness to that has given me such incredible faith that I could do the same thing. I love but that. it's because they made that move. Yep. And, and there's this notion, man, people think, whatever, business people, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, but people think that successful people have it all figured out. And that, that's so oh. backwards. <laughs> Successful people know how to just jump and figure shit out along yeah. the way. And it sounds like that's what your parents did. So that's kudos to them. Fast forward a little bit. So where where does your journey start after that point? Well, before we go too much further, yeah. Yeah. one process in which they knew but didn't know exactly how to quantify it, if you will, is this concept of ready aim, fire, right? You've all yeah. heard this before. Ready, aim, yeah. fire, ready, get ready, get an idea what you want to do. Aim, 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 make sure that the target is perfect. The weather is perfect. Your hair is perfect. Everything's perfect. And then finally fire, right? right? Right. That's what most people do because that's what they're taught to do. What I've adopted based on what I've learned is my path and throughout, and it's, it's definitely helped me tremendously is this ready, fire, aim mentality, yeah. right? We don't have all the answers. It's not a great long-term plan, Maurice, you know that. Mm -hmm. But what it'll do is if you have procrastination or if you're stuck in a rut and you can't get out, fire, ready, fire, aim as you move. It's like shooting a missile off, a heat-seeking missile, and then adjusting it as you're moving along. But once the momentum starts, you now have to perform. You can't, you don't have the, the ability to sit back and say, yeah, you know what? I really don't feel like having this business now once it's moving. Once you've already set expectations, once you have bills, once you have all this stuff, you're now in a momentum, like you have to keep moving. So a ready fire aim mentality gets you started if you're a procrastinator. It helped me tremendously. Now, I will say, it's a warning here, it will not help you scale. Right. <laughs> It'll help you get started. <laughs> yes. You will need to you. aim at some point, right? You will need to aim at some point. So having the why, like you're asking earlier, having a clear why of what you're trying to do, maybe it's to to leave a bigger legacy for your family or have more choices. That's all money is, right? It's more choices yep. and you can have more choices in life. So whatever your why is define that and then ready, f- ready, fire, aim until you're moving and then start aiming a lot stronger. If that makes sense. That makes total sense. And I'm one for ready, fire, aim as well. I think I, in, in my journey, I call it more of a just do and course correct along the way. So I, yep. my, my guys know my story of buying single family homes for, for decades, really. And then now scaling into apartment building syndication. So I've done 30 plus of them. But once you get to that point, you do have to aim. You do have to employ systems. It makes sense to employ business coaches like like I've employed business coaches and stuff. But I still like, you know, most of the people don't want to scale. Eh, I don't want to say that. A lot of people who are listening are just looking for the ready fire part just to get going, to give something a try. And here's another amazing human in Josh and his parents who have adopted, who adopted that principle. And it took you down this amazing path. There's no doubt, but there's a huge faith component to this too, Maurice, because if you fire without faith, man, it can be nerve wracking, chaotic as ever. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm a Christian myself, but I'm not here to preach. My point is to have a bigger faith, a faith in something bigger than you that's directing and guiding you will certainly keep you sane. <laughs> because once that, once you fired, 
it's uh, it's like holding on to the tail of a bull when it's running. You know, it at is. times it's it wild, and you have to have you have to have that that deep faith that everything's going to be okay, and it probably isn't going to turn out the way you think it is. No, it never. But does. to be okay with that, <laughs> to be okay with that, knowing that you don't know anything. Yeah. We're just here for the ride, right? So now it's a matter of how do we try to at least control as much as we can, as much as makes sense, and then just allow for that journey to unfold. That's right. That's right. So what's the journey for you? So for me, it was once I grew up in that model, we started a small landscaping company because we had customers coming in the garden center saying, hey, will you and your brother come out and do stuff for us? And Maurice, when I grew up in that garden center from age of five to the age of 18, I never got paid a penny. We never made a wage. Yeah, man. My brother and I, we worked because that's what you did in a family dynamic. You worked. Everyone supplied. We had food on the table every night. We had yeah. tons of things to do. We were never bored. Yeah. Right. And my my parents made it a, a point that every year we went on a summer vacation. Like life was good, but we never got paid. So I never had cash laying around. Right. So it was interesting at age 18 when customers started coming in the garden center and said, Hey, do you think your boys would come and install some of this stuff? You know, garden center, we have plants and trees and fish and like all kinds of stuff, like everything you would need for the backyard. Yeah. So they started coming and asking, hey, well, your boys, now they're of age, you think that they would come out and install or do a cleanup or do something simple you didn't need a lot of tools for. And coming off, I grew up in working on farms too, and the garden center. We worked there six, seven days a week. Plus then for cash on this side, I would work on farms, right? Oh, so gotcha. we'd bail hay in a hundred degree heat. So yeah. anyway, so with that being the case, they came in and they're like, hey, will you do this? And I'm like, yeah, and I'll never forget, Maurice. The first time a client came in and said that, and I went out and looked at him, I said, all right, cool. Like, to do this, I don't, I don't know what it's worth. Like, what's my time worth? I don't know how to figure that out. And I looked at the project. I'm like, a thousand dollars would be good. Just like shooting into the air. Yeah, right? yeah you just like, pick something. Right. You just like, pick it. Yeah, it's like, and you're like, fine. And I'm like, thousand bucks. Yeah. Holy moly! <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's for one day's work. Then I'm thinking, a thousand bucks. And there was expenses in there too. That wasn't all yep. cream. You know what I mean? But still, point a thousand bucks. And I'm thinking, wait, there's seven days in a week, Marie. So right, like, you could do a thousand a day. But but that you know what for real that goes to the point of charging what you're worth. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. people don't even me like in my coaching business or what have you. It took me a while to get to the point where I had confidence that my 25 years of real estate and lifestyle design experience, if you will, was worth X amount of money. Right. It's oh, a yeah. little bit yeah. a little bit scary, but people will pay it because that is what you're worth. So I I love the thousand, especially when you're that young. You're like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. some real money. <laughs> I'm like, score. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I exactly. actually think they paid cash too, which was totally blew my mind. But anyway, and I couldn't believe that people had that kind of money just kind of sitting in a checking account because I certainly didn't. And as things started to scale with that business, they went from $1,000 projects to five and 10 and $20,000 projects. Every single time we leveled up to some new opportunity, I could not believe that people just had that kind of money sitting around because I yeah. never grew up with money. I yeah. had no idea, yeah. none of it. So I was like, 20,000 for this project? More of a question than a statement. And yep. they'd be like, well, that sounds fine. I'm thinking, where are you gonna get it? <laughs> like you gonna rob a bank tonight? Anyway, so. Just being, not coming from that world, getting yeah. into this now and thinking like, wait a minute here, what am I doing wrong? Like if they've got 20,000 sitting on the side, what am I not doing right here? So anyway, it's a, my point is my money mindset has evolved from caveman to becoming more dangerous as I'm getting older, but it's, it's, it starts at nothing. You don't have to start it. Like I didn't go to college for this. I didn't do any of that stuff. I graduated high school. I went to a little trade school for drafting and just as a backup. And that was it for two years. I paid for yeah. that. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Later. Like to... Yep. I want to call something out. You said it's really powerful, actually. 
in your growth, you were talking about you never grew up with money. I, I didn't yeah. either. I mean, you grew up in maybe rural Pennsylvania. I grew up in the inner city, and my family was a Haitian immigrant family. We we had we weren't poor, but we didn't we didn't have yeah. a lot. My parents were educators and things of that nature. But the thing that yeah. you said that is powerful that I want people to key in on is that your money blueprint can change over time. So oh, yeah, yeah. So my parents' money blueprint was you know how it is, man. You they they got paid. And then back in the 80s, they like we get paid, we go to the bank, we put the money in the bank, we, we write in our savings mm -hmm. passbook, how much we put in there, and that's it. Over the years of self-education and maybe just going through business failures and successes the way that you've gone through, my money blueprint shifted to when I make money, the first thing I do is I go invest a portion of it. And then I spend whatever is the rest. But it sounds like this, that's my money blueprint. It, it shifted from my family. But I just want to call out the fact that you said you didn't have money. You started to see money and your blueprint started to evolve over time. It, it didn't happen fast because as soon as I had money, I wanted to spend. Money, you wanted to right? spend that. Bad Finally, had, I had access. <laughs> I had leverage, baby. I could go out and buy the stuff that I wanted. Right. I grew up in clothes that were too big for me because they were cheap. And then yeah. I started going out when I started getting money and I started to buy the same stuff. And then I put them on and I'm like, why am I buying pants? that are three sizes too big for me because they were half price. Like, I just don't feel good in them. And I'm like, you actually have enough to buy the right ones now. Mm -hmm. But it took me a little while to get used to that idea. And yeah, it's it's really an amazing shift in that. In the beginning, it wasn't about investing. I didn't understand anything about that, Maurice. My family doesn't understand anything about it. No one even owned a stock in my family. Nobody even owned another building. Nobody, like that was just not part of right. the reality. They were farmers, right? I love right. them for how simple everything was. But at the same time, once it all started to shift, once I met my wife at about 26, I think 26, 27, when I met my wife mm -hmm. and she's from Germany and she, you know, her father was very different that way. Her father mm -hmm. ran a mill. He was the CEO of a mill, one of the world's oldest paper mills. And he was in there. It's like 400 plus years old or more. It's some crazy like amount of time. So there's a legacy there. And he came in and could control and built that business up a lot. So it came from, she came from a very different background. So as I'm sitting here thinking of this farmer in Pennsylvania, born in the cornfields coming out and I'm like, wait a minute here. And I started to see a different life. And she's a chiropractor too. I met her after she got her degree and she started to practice. Yeah. So this is like two totally different worlds coming together. And then I'm like, okay. And I started going to her, her events, like they would have different chiropractic events and they would talk so much about philosophy and they talk so much about, cause it's not just the adjustment itself. Yeah. It was more about the philosophy behind it. And they're very much Principle, they call them principled chiropractors, people that are really focused on the subluxation correction and the power that created the body heals the body and like all of that. And to see these uber successful people living in their God-given talents, doing extremely well financially. And you talk about someone that felt like a fish out of water. Like, I didn't mm -hmm. know how to talk to these people. These people are educated. They went to four years. They have doctorates. I'm a farmer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how does this work? And for me, it's it's taken a long time to really get off that old money mindset and understand that if my money is not making babies when I'm sleeping, right. then I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, It's that simple. If it's not making money when I'm sleeping, then I'm doing something wrong. And I could not understand that in the beginning. I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I felt like yeah, I was living all that. of us. You all know of what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I felt like I had both sides going on. I'm like, which one are you going to pick? And I'm like, I know which one I want to pick, but I don't have the skill set yet. That's right. It. So I tell so, people, like, that's part of that's part of the Try Life Farm philosophy. Make a dollar, send that dollar out, and tell it to come back with two, three friends in a few years. That's what that's what we got to do. Otherwise, we're going to be making dollars for other people for, forever if we stay stay on the opposite track. And I absolutely agree. But in that mindset, Maurice, and you know this, but in that mindset, 
I was more afraid to lose my money than I was yeah. to see it grow. Because yeah. as soon as I, if I took it out from under my mattress and gave it to somebody, then it was out of my control. So I was mm -hmm. looking for certainty in that. And there is no such thing as certainty in the investing world. That's where uncertainty, you'd have to, you have to work the environment. I know that now you have to make sure that you're investing in areas that you have as much certainty and control as possible, but there's always some, some form of uncertainty built into that. Now, again, I didn't have those skills. I didn't go to school for this. I didn't, they don't teach you this stuff in high school. We barely get it. How do you pick it up? Book. How are you picking all, how are you picking these concepts up? My, presumably you're in your 20s when you met your wife, but how, how are you picking this stuff up? Are you reading? Are you get, having a mentor? All the above. So once I realized that I needed to up my education game, and I wasn't going to go yeah. back to school. I was running a business. Like I didn't have time for that. And at that time, a couple of years later, we started the family. So I didn't have time for all that. So then what am I going to do? So I started to read a book. The first book that I read, I met I wasn't much of a reader. I couldn't sit down and focus. It wasn't my thing. I'd rather listen to a you know a book on tape back in those days yeah, right? or something yeah, like yeah. that. And then we were limited. We didn't have streaming anything back then. So yeah. I started, I read one book and the first one that sticks out in my mind was called uh, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, right? And I was running my business and that book was all about how to systemize your business so you don't have to be there. And then I, it opened my mind to a whole other idea. I'm like, wait a minute here. I thought when we started the business, we did it till we die, like the farmers do, right? You start a farm, you do it till you die, and you pass it on to a generational, keep moving it down. And I'm like, wait a minute here. What if I could create a business that could run on its own, if I could systemize it? And I love systems and processes. If I'm doing anything more than once or twice, it should be done by someone else or something else, right? Mm -hmm. And now with technology growing as it is now and automations and all that, that becomes simpler and simpler. But anyway, I started thinking about this from a bigger perspective. How could I create a business that could run without me? And that was the absolutely crazy idea because again, remember, I'm coming from a farm where everything is hands-on, a garden center where right. everything is hands-on. There's no automations, maybe some watering and irrigation automations, but everything else is hands-on. And I wanna go to the opposite spectrum of that. And we're in construction. Because mm -hmm. when I started the landscaping company, it was all construction. So it took years to work through that. And then at that point, I read that book and I said, you know what? I keep seeing everyone around me who's successful that I look up to. One thing they have in common, they have mm -hmm. a mentor, they have a coach. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I didn't grow up playing sports, so I didn't really understand that concept. I worked. So I actually hired one of the E-Myth um, guys. And one of the, the coaches, and I was, again, like a fish out of water, not used to having someone kind of talk to me this way and, and go deep yep. into things. And so I remember one of the first tasks he gave me to do. He said, Joshua, this is what I want you to do by our next week's call. I want you to sit down and I want you to write your eulogy. Oh, shit. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. He's like, I want you to write your eulogy. And at the time... My two sons at that time, roughly three and five years old. I'll never forget it. Saturday morning, I sat at my kitchen table saying, I have a call on Monday with him. I am going to write this. This is the time I have available. I'm going to write this. And mm -hmm. Maurice, I was an absolute wreck, crying. My kids running around under my feet, squealing like little kids do in the background. And I am writing and pouring my heart out. And the reason why I was crying so hard was because the man that I was writing down, I was visualizing that my two sons and my wife were in front of the church and my box was laid out in front and they were speaking over it to the crowd. And the words coming out of their mouth are the ones that I was writing. The, one, the words that I wanted to come out of their mouth. And the reason why I was so emotional is because I was nowhere near that man yet. Oh, you started to see all the, man, that's got a, that Holy must have weighed on you heavy. And you have no idea how oh, hard that hit me. Yeah. 
And I, I just sat there looking in my kids' eyes afterwards saying, you deserve the absolute best father possible. And wow. I was nowhere near that. I had my own vices, my own addictions, all of that stuff that I knew of that no one else knew of. And wow. I knew that those things were never going to get me to where I wanted to go. But I knew that if I wanted to become the man that I was speaking about, a yeah. lot had to change. Yeah, you just you just gave me chills. I, I have to tell you, I think God puts people in front of people at certain times to reemphasize their own journey. And I was writing down that eulogy exercise because I've been in business for 26 years. I, I got out of college in 97 and I worked at W2 for roughly 25 years. I exited, but I had real estate and some other businesses. I was fine. And I tell my business partners now and anyone that asks me about, hey, man, what are you doing with this business or the real estate stuff or the executive producing stuff? And I tell them my foot is not on the gas anymore. I've taken my foot yeah. off the gas. I'm in neutral. The clutch is down. If somebody wants to pull me towards an opportunity or push me into an opportunity, I might go because, you know, you still want to be part of something. Yeah. But if I think about the eulogy exercise, the things that I'm missing that I want people to be able to say at the funerals, like, how did you take care of your daughter? I don't have a daughter. I'm, I'm thinking about having kids later in life. How good of a parent were you to your two existing boys? Yeah. Did you live overseas permanently like you always wanted to and become a respected member of the business community? I, I live in Cyprus sometimes, but a respected member of the business community in Cyprus. You said that, and I'm like, man, the good Lord wanted me to introduce you or to interview you just so you could tell me that one thing. We should be thinking about on the day you leave, what are people going to say that will make you happy? Yeah. Wow. And it's, it's, it's so, so often people think of that as, as an ego trip, right? Like I want people to stand up like he did this and built this empire, made all this money. That is not what it's about. What kind of impact do I want to leave on humanity, on my family? And right. it's not about the money. That is right. the lowest form of currency is money. It's about the relationships, the impacts. How have you helped people through your gifts that God's given you? I believe, Maurice, mm -hmm. that everybody has gifts given to them by God at birth. And that is their job, their obligation to discover them throughout their lifetime and then share them with as many people as we possibly can, right? On whatever form that looks like, whether it's in your church, whether it's walking, going out for a walk with people, going to a, an elderly home and helping out, or, or heck, just calling a friend. It doesn't yeah. have to be gigantic, right? Maybe yeah. and this is where business for me over time evolved. Business for me in the beginning was, since I didn't come up with money, my, I was like, all right, great. It's a generator of money. Great. Have money come in, have money come out. And eventually I'm back to zero again, like this whole pass through. And then I started thinking, you know what? What if business could be a vehicle to impact everyone's journey more? Like say, for instance, if you make like just mm. a paycheck, you can go out and help just with a paycheck. But what if you could, you created a business that could create multiple paychecks for many people. And the mission of that business didn't just change your life. It's changed all your teammates' life and everyone that they serve. The business becomes a much bigger vehicle for the mission of life. And then right. you attract yep. others to your mission, yep. right? That have a similar mission. It's not for everybody, but the ones that have a similar mission. And now you don't have to worry about people bouncing in and out of your team because when they're in, they're family. And that's all a shared the, mission. That's the kind of businesses that people should struggle. Look, there, there's a time to grind in life. I, I, I get all that. But there does come a point in life where you want to be in a business that has a greater meaning, that's there for the greater good, and that money is a byproduct of the good that you're doing out in the world. And then you get to socialize 
create something with a business partner like Joshua, people are so very focused on money as the outcome. So many times when people have tried to bring me into real estate deals and I'll go meet the partnership of people who are doing real estate, I'll say, no, not interested. Yeah. Because they're chasing the money. They're not chasing the yeah. impact and saying, look, we're going to have this impact on this neighborhood and provide affordable housing or this community and do beautiful landscaping to beautify the area. Oh, and we're going to make a good amount of money on, on the side, right? I love that you bring that up as an example because it should be something that people strive for. That's not work. That's that's building community. That's doing good out in the world, right? Yeah, that, what a fantastic way to phrase it. Thank you. And, you know, when it comes to money, that's, again, not growing up with it, having a poor money mindset starting out in my life, mm. you know, at a certain point, there's a guilt to it, right? If you make, if, if you charge something for a project or your service or whatever, you mentioned this earlier about coaching. Yeah. We'll get into that as my journey evolved. But the point is trying to figure out what the value is and to realize that if you make more money, mm -hmm. it shouldn't make you feel guilty, even though a lot of times it will. You'll feel like, wait a minute here, maybe I shouldn't have charged as much or whatever, like this whole this whole sage saboteur concept goes through your head, you got that little devil on your shoulder telling you like, you, you could have done it for less. You know, yeah. you could you could help more people if you didn't, right? There's this whole back and forth. That's all another podcast. But point is, when we start thinking about the more money you make, the more opportunity you have to impact more yes. people, not because you have bigger coffers of cash, it's yep. because you can give more. You can do more. You can be more present. You That's can it. do more with it. So the the more you make, the more you can impact. And then does it's not because your bank is bigger. That's, that's all it is, right? Money is only gives you more choices. That's all. It's neither good nor bad. It's a tool like a hammer. So the uh -huh. point is, when you sit down with it, when you sit down with it and you say, wait a minute here, the more I make, so instead of feeling guilty about making money, think about the more money I make, the more I can give away. So think about uh, how many you're, more you're lives you can possibly impact. You were preaching to the choir. My my apartment complex business now, I'm okay financially. My apartment complex business, because I can affect major communities, and I can help investors reach financial freedom faster than I did, but I'm making a ton of money. And then that money is now being used in my philanthropic causes when I'm over in the Mideast and what have you. Like, it's just good. It's yeah. it's not a bad thing to make more money if you deploy it out in the world the way that it should be deployed, or at least use it as legacy for your family or what have you. So give us a sense of, I'd, I'd like to know more about your business, because I don't think people would think about I saw master plan. I don't think people would think about that as a not viable, but as a as an awesome option such that they can control their life, they can try life on, they can uh, do everything you're talking about, evolve your money blueprint, give back to community. Can you yeah. just express express the business so folks uh, know about it? Sure. So for the first 15 years of my um, entrepreneurial career, I was with a family business and we did design build work for outdoor living. So we you know do the outside of your house and do all kinds of stuff, patios landscaping, lighting, all that stuff, water features. And then after that, I decided to get started in more of a design manage model, which means I design and then I bring in trusted craftsmen to do the work. So I'm basically managing the idea throughout. So started a different model because I saw home builders and pool builders doing this. And I don't want to deal with having tons and tons of employees to be quite honest with you and all the yeah, equipment that comes either. with it. Yeah, I, yeah. I wanted to pick the very best and bring them in for the, each project so I could specialize mm -hmm. each project making sure that I can bring the best to the table. So started that out and it's been about 13 years now that I've been doing that with master plan and built a team around that, which that team now runs, you know, that company, they're far more talented than I am, Marie, to be quite honest with you as designers <laughs> and managers and, yep. and customer experience managers, all of that stuff. They're so much better at than I am. And that's freed me up. Now, what I want to hit on for the listeners out there yeah. is 
you know, Maurice talked about trying life on and if, you know, landscaping, outdoor living, that kind of thing doesn't excite you because it's ridiculously hot and that's not your thing or you're not into manual labor, <laughs> which you have to be for this kind of world, right? Um, anyway, I grew yeah, up on a farm, so that was never an issue for me. Anyway, yeah, right. my point is, what I realized way too late in life is that during the process of growing a business or even running a business, that one of the critical mistakes that most business owners miss is the idea of putting money away to invest. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're if you have a business and you net out at the end of the year, let's just say fifty thousand dollars that you have as a margin profit margin for the year. I look at that in, in the past and say, OK, good. I got fifty thousand dollars and we're in Pennsylvania. So we always had a winter season, which meant no work. We did not plow snow. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. had three months of no revenue and then we had nine months of revenue. So every year I would end up by fall having a big slug of cash. And I'm like, sweet, it's going to be awesome. Three months worth of nothing but bills. Not so awesome followed by the next uppercut, which was April 15th tax day. Oof. And I didn't put money away because I just wanted to see it all in my account. I didn't want to, and all of a sudden my tax guy came to me and said, dude, you owe, you have 50,000 in your account, you owe $48,000 to the government. And I'm like, what? He's yeah. like, yeah, that's what, that's what it is. And that's I'm the like, way it works, man. They don't work for it, man. Why am I doing that? Anyway, so it took me a little while for that one. But anyway, my point is by the end of the year, I had in this scenario, $2,000 to start my year off with. And then yeah. I did it again and yeah. again. I did yeah. that for 15 years in the first company over and over and over. And I'm like, is this what business is about? Because this sucks. Yeah. Well, I had to figure out a way. That's why I started Master Plan. I had to figure out a way that I could do, I could have year round work, first of all. So I didn't have to be so seasonal. And second of all, I said, what if the problem I have is running out of money is I, mean, I don't have any other revenue source. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It, it's my income. It's my wife's income. So I do have a revenue source. My point is not on my side. And I'm thinking mm -hmm. like, wait a minute here. How's this going to work? And I'm like, what if I started putting away? We started saving. My wife and I are very big savers. So, you know, so I said, what if we started putting money away? If Maybe it's 10% of that 50000 in this scenario. So that's $5,000 a year or whatever it is at the end of the year, 10% of it. And that money is put into savings. And that savings money can then be invested in long-term assets, which I'm yep. learning at this point. You know, yep. It was not yep. early in the process. It was paycheck to paycheck in the beginning. And I'm like, but what if we interrupt that cycle? And this is something my family never did. You know, my family, my brother, my, my mother, my father, my brother, they don't know anything about this. They were never educated in this department. So this is what I learned from, from my mentors and just the people around me. Like they actually put money away and then they take that money and they, they figure out a way to make that money make more money, right? Exactly. Whether it's in stocks or bonds or whether it's in real estate, like Nailing all it. of that. So my point is, I didn't know that it was possible for me because I'm like, I don't grow up with any money. I don't have a big you know, nest egg sitting there. Yeah, I'm going to go invest and buy this apartment building. And I felt like if I couldn't start like at the top, it wasn't worth it. I said, no, no. What if we boil it down to a brass tacks here and say, what if I just put away 10%, 20%, whatever I can go in. One thing my wife said, and I'm going to say, like, I can her all the credit for, for a lot of things, including mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. When we started looking for our home, we're going to mm -hmm. buy our home. We started looking around and, you know, I was like between my business and her business. I'm like, we have fair income. I mean, except for at the end of the year when I actually have paid taxes, but in, without that, pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the next yeah. thing you know, we started looking at houses and I was like, well, when I grew up, it was buy the biggest house you can possibly find that you can just afford the house and the taxes and the rest will figure itself out. So become house is how I was, I was taught when I grew up. I saw everyone around me doing it. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I don't, I just went into this thinking that and my wife says to me in her infinite wisdom, she goes, I heard once that you should never invest in your home, your, your mortgage and your taxes, no more mm -hmm. than 25% of your net for the year. The amount mm -hmm. that you actually take home in your pocket, 25%. And I'm thinking like, I'm doing the math. I'm like, we can't buy a mansion then, right? Mansion for me is not that big, but my yeah, point yeah, is you yeah, can't you buy a you, mansion then, right? Yeah. It's more than a one room, one bedroom house, right? So 
she's like, no, I started looking at it and I'm like, that is brilliant. I said, so, okay, in this philosophy, what do you do with the rest of the money? She's like, 25% gets invested, 25% goes into, you know, trips and things like that. And 25% goes into our daily expenses as well, right? We have all of those things going. I said, so if you buy a smaller house, no more than a 25% rule, that gives us more choices in life, right? And we're like, yes. And I'm like, all right, let's do that. So we did. We bought a house that we could easily afford something much more. Yeah. And I will never look back from that decision, Maurice. That was one of the best decisions that that we ever, she brought to the table and we ever decided to move forward with because we've never been strapped for that right. reason. Right. And people will do that. And that's what society kind of leans uh, leans on us to do is like get the biggest house, yeah. get the get the best cars and things of that nature. Never the case, right? And with yeah. businesses, everyone out there listening with businesses, the tax advantage of owning a business between writing off cars for the company and fuel and insurance and running off a, a, a an office in your own home to pay mortgages, there are so many legal ways that the government allows you to mm -hmm. save tax dollars. This is not some kind of crookery here. This is reality. This is they've designed it this way. That's why when we get into real estate here, it makes it it explodes those options, it, right? And then the benefits. So yeah. the, the tax code is designed for this yeah. and to not take advantage of it, it's crazy. But anyway, that's my opinion. My but point is, is so, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Go finish your point though. No, so my point, is, my point is by putting money away each and every either pay cycle or draw cycle if you own a business or whether it's at the end of the year, you put a percentage away and put that into a No, I do not touch that fund unless I'm dying, yep. right? Yep. That's the fund that goes into building wealth because once you do that and it starts small, man, it's painful. It's painful because that five grand or 10 grand sitting in that account, you could go buy that new jet ski or four wheeler or whatever the hell you want to go buy and that'd be immediate gratification, but you need to stop that. You just say, wait, immediate gratification. I'll go buy a lollipop or an ice cream cone. I'll get it there, <laughs> right? I'll put the bigger money out there and I'm going yeah. to put it out there and it's going to accumulate like snow over time. And eventually yeah. you can take that five grand and start pointing it at an asset that'll produce a cash flow. And yes, it might be small in the beginning. It might be 50 bucks a month you get from five grand going in or whatever, like some small amount, but then you do it twice. That's it. It's a hundred You got to You got to three times. It's 150. You yeah, got to store your money. You got to store yeah. your money. If for those of you listening, go back to ep episode 17 of the podcast. It was how to break the money rat race. That's exactly what Joshua was talking about is yeah. whether you're a business owner or an employee taking money from whatever paychecks you get, storing it, saving up enough money in storage to buy a long-term asset and then buying that asset. Because this is what I tell people all the time. We have got to get into the habit because school will not teach us. We have got to get into the habit of using our money to buy persistent assets. And by yes. persistent, I mean, my man, Josh has an awesome business where he drives revenue. I was getting revenue from corporate and from being a police officer and from being a military guy, et cetera. But we are taking our revenue and putting a portion of that revenue, storing it, saving up money, and then going to buy long-term assets that will pay us forever. You got to put something in yes. something persistent. Without Josh in the business, actually, I know you automated a lot of it or you outsourced, you have people doing things. But theoretically, if you own a business, if you leave the business, the business is not persistent. It will go away at some point. But there are assets that you buy that stay persistent forever and pay you forever. And on my financial freedom journey, I was buying condos for years and years and got up to 35, paid off 18. The 160K from the 18 back in 2014 is still the money I live off of today because it's nice. persistent. And that's yeah. how you can try life on more from a financial perspective. But Josh is talking a lot more from a faith perspective, how he started his business, how his parents took a leap of faith and went the entrepreneurial route. And I know a lot of you want to do that. Hey, so as we wrap up, what would you, 
you've had a hell of a journey, man, and it continues. By the way, I love your faith. Um, I was just listening to it and the conviction you have around you, your family, your wife. It really comes from you naturally. So I know it's genuine. So I appreciate you for that. You're, you're a good model. Give What would you give for folks listening who are trying to get to a point where they can try life on, who are trying to get to the point where your parents did, where they jumped, trying to get to the point where your money blueprint has shifted from what it was, like seeing money sometimes to understanding that you have to invest money. What would be one thing that you would suggest to people so they can try life on their way? Well, so many things, but the one that comes to mind first and foremost is look around yourself. You become look around ag- yourself. You become the aggregate of the five people you. Spend oh yes, the time yes, with. yes, yes. Absolutely. So if you're hanging with 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 you know with dogs, you're laying with dogs. You're going to get fleas. If you want to really push your game, <laughs> right? It yep, happened to you're me right. because yeah. I, mar- I married my wife, and you know my father-in-law was a gigantic influence in my life in that side, right? It just happened mm-hmm. to happen that way. I obviously didn't marry her for that. I never had no interest in that. But the point is, it happened that way. And then I started to see around me and I started reading. So if you want to shift that money mindset, you need to be exposed to new ideas. If you keep staying within those same ideas that you're used to and hanging out with the same people that do the same thing every weekend, you are never going to go further than that. So you become the aggregate of the five people you spend the most time with. Choose wisely. You can't choose your family. You can love them for who they are, but you can choose your inner circle. And when you start to coach and you start to grow in your mindset, your money mindset shifts. Yep. The people in the back that have been around you since day one are going to try to pull you back down to where they are. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they don't love you. They're doing it because they think they do love you. Yep. Which is not You've the case. You've got to break those ties. It's like taking a rubber band, Marie. It's like taking a rubber band. And as you grow, you're pulling that rubber band, pulling that rubber band, pulling that rubber band. What happens when you stop pulling? It starts to pull itself back together again. That's it. That's people pulling you back, right? What you need to do is pull it and it's going to snap. And you know what that snap's going to do? It's going to hurt for a moment. And yep. then you're free. And then you're free. And it takes, it's so hard, man, because people are just used to their circles or they're, they're so afraid of what's around the corner. But I totally agree with you. And there's nothing wrong with leaving a circle of friends or professionals behind. It's not that you don't care for them. It's that, that you are growing in a different way. You've clearly recognized that, man. And you you are on one heck of a journey. You have beautiful family around you. Thank you. It sounds like you are you have your mentors. And I think you wanted to say something about coaching real quick. And I didn't want to leave that behind. Are you coaching people? Yep. I do coach people. Yeah, I do coach people and talk through a lot of different things, mostly within my my space, my my outdoor living space community, right? The guys that are contractors that are out there building stuff because my my goal is to find the people that are struggling to get started yeah, and to help yeah. direct them, right? The ones that are already doing incredibly well, there's plenty of coaches out there for them. I remember the journey in the beginning. I remember all the shit, the ups and down, the bumps and all that stuff. And yeah. I want to leave you, I want to leave with your listeners with one story that hopefully yeah, uh, means something to them. Yeah. And I'll say this, you've heard my story so far, guys listening here, started out with nothing, no money, never got paid for working, learned how to start making money, made every mistake you can possibly imagine, work paycheck to paycheck. And the idea that, you know, I would go year to year, just breaking even what it felt like in business, but work my ass off. And so did everyone else in the business. And it just wasn't fair to be working that hard with nothing to show for it at the end of the year, all the way up to the point where we had one rental property because 
it was our original first home uh, yes. and I was going right. to sell it. Right. 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 Uh, we were going to sell it. And when we bought our other home and my wife's like, you know what, what if we kept it as a rental property? We can make income off of it. And again, completely foreign concept to me. Maurice, I was like, I've heard of landlords before. Hmm. Like, yeah, what the heck? I'll right. try it. Let's see what right. happens. Right. Right. Absolutely miserable. <laughs> I hated being a landlord quickly. I was like, oh my God, everything that people talked about was right. You know, I can remember they were, I think it was like 750 or 800 a month for this little little right. cottage on a lake. And we would, you know, each month they would send a check and I'm like, 800 bucks, good. And all the money would go out for expenses. And then this would happen, that would break. Hey, I need this to be fixed. And at the end, I'm like, dude, it cost me money to run this thing. I'm like, over and over, it just happened. And then sometimes we had a good stretch for a few months where actually there was money in the account. And then right. I would get a call and they're, they're laying out or I got to evict them or they're not paying. I was like, oh, no, no, this is not my thing. I'm like, we're done. I love the idea of cash flow, but I hate the idea of being a landlord. And again, another more of God's grace, a, a, after almost 15 years of doing that, 15 years I hung in on that. Yeah. My, a friend of my wife's came to me and said, you know, I know that you want to be, you want cash flow, but you don't want to be a landlord. Am I right? And I'm like, yep, mm -hmm. that's correct. She goes, what if you could buy real estate and not have to maintain it? If you just bought it, owned the asset, controlled the asset, but didn't actually have to do any of the landlord stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm in. Mm -hmm. How many can I buy? Mm -hmm. How many can I buy? So it happened to be an opportunity there. And we started to have a conversation. And within nine months, we purchased 67 single family homes. And to a point where- In a portfolio was, or like as shares no, or- in, Independent. We own at least 50% of more. Yes. Wow. Now okay. there's, there's smaller homes and they're, you know, C-class. So they're going to be like built around 1900. I got you. I but, got you. but in working blue collar areas that we can, the bigger goal was not just to have cash flow, but it's mm -hmm. also to be able to impact that community in a way that we can give them awesome living conditions, awesome spaces they can be proud of when they come home from work and not the squalor that was there. Right. So we went through individually and bought them. And, and the only way that happened, the only way that could possibly happen was another blessing was that the one guy that was running that, not, not a group, but he was kind of heading all of the, the conversation to, to buying in that area. Mm -hmm. His name is Scott. We both found it, the way it worked in that group was whoever found the deal, the first one who found the deal that came up on the MLS, we would go out and, and whoever had it first in that group would be have the option to it, right? First off. And right. if they didn't want it, then it'd be passed in the rest of the group, but you had to be fast. And I'm fast. That's not a problem, right? So right, I was right. living, I was living on that thing. I'd pop up not even 30 seconds later. I was out to my to my realtor said, dude, I need to look at this property. All right, good. We're putting your name on it. Got it. Anyway, so we both hit the same property at almost exactly the same time. And then I said to the realtor, I'm like, hey, if you know, Scott, if he was one minute earlier, he was. That's cool. And the next thing you know, he's like, he comes in and I said, but if he doesn't want it. Let me know. No, you'll so take Scott it. called me. Scott called me and he said, Hey, you want to go in on this? It was a seven unit deal. I was like, you want to go in on this together? And I'm like, yes, I do. And he became my mentor and he put me under his wing and taught See? me so many things. Right. And that's, and it's just what it was. Right. And he, he put me under and I, I, I have to attribute a lot of my success to him teaching me. And he, he fast tracked what could have taken decades to learn race. I learned in weeks because of a mentor. Let, let me ask you, a just a, people are going to ask this. What was the price point? of the relative price point of the properties you were looking at to get up to 70, 67 doors, 67, 67 places or 67 doors? So 67 doors. A lot of them are either doors. duplexes okay. or singles. Some of them okay. are a little bit bigger, but most of them are in that range. So you're uh, in the, you're in Pennsylvania. These are all in Pennsylvania? Correct. So what, yeah, That's what correct. was the, the the price range for them? And you're going to laugh if you're outside of Pennsylvania. because <laughs> no, I'm average, not going to laugh. I have a feeling. I have a feeling what's coming. Yeah. The average the average per door was around 60K. That's what we all wanted right. so our all-in Stop, 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 stop. Listen. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clip this section 
I'm going to clip yeah. this section and send it to my coaching students and actually probably do a post on LinkedIn about this particular topic. So usually when I talk about my financial freedom journey, people ask what was the price point of the condos that I was buying? And when I started buying them in 2002, the price point was not like 90,000 to 120,000 in and out of the DC area. Okay. Yeah. Everyone says, there's no way in hell you're going to find something like that in DC nowadays. No, in the city, you're not. But if you go into Northern Maryland, you can still find them. <laughs> Coaching student, Utah. I can't buy anything here. California, Utah, California. I can't find anything here. You have to go to where the opportunities are. Well, I can never find them. All right. So now you have someone in Joshua who's successful in his process and he's still learning and I'm still learning, but Every telling day. you that there are places where price points can be 60 grand, 80 grand, even 50 grand. Now you're going to have to deal with probably more repairs, maybe a lesser quality of tenancy, what have you. But that is part of the game. That is part of you understanding that there are different asset classes out there. But the reason I went on this small rant is stop saying you cannot find deals. Stop it. Yeah. If you live in Florida and it's expensive in Florida, then bring your butt up to rural Georgia and go find something so you can experience financial freedom and try life on the way you want to. Stop putting excuses out there and put more energy into go finding stuff the way Joshua found it. I'm so happy you brought that up because Mo, Mo you're doing $30 million deals. Yep, yeah, no, no, but I started with 90000 dollar deals. And frankly, I still live off the money from the small deals. Yeah. Right. I yeah. think it's beautiful what you said. Are you still growing or are you just kind of at a static pace now? Yeah. So with that, what was funny is I, my target was a hundred doors in one year. That was my target. Right. Yeah. Because why not? Like if you're going to shoot for the stars, shoot for the stars. And the, the problem I ran into is eventually I ran out of liquid cash because we were burying everything. Right. So we were buying and we were rehab and then we were renting and then refinancing and washing yeah. and moving right into the next one, right? So you have to buy smart in the beginning and then you could get most of your money back out of it, uh, which was great. Problem is that I thought the banks would move faster and I didn't know, no, right? All of a sudden <laughs> the banks, it took, no. And it took them three months, four months, five months to do the yeah. refi. And I'm like, dude, my, you're tying my money up for all that time. So being what's God, he's like, dude, I just found this guy. He's He does, you know, hard, hard money hard loans. Money loans. It's, yeah. it's not cheap. Yeah, yeah. It's not but cheap. It it's like 10, 12%. Yeah. But it's, so you so you give up your first year. The, the thing is, when it's underwritten, you look at it, and you know, basically means when you do your numbers, right? You look at it, and you say, all right, can this asset hold its own weight for until that hard money rolls out? Which means at twelve percent, the cost of that money is expensive, but then right. the asset should produce enough cash flow to offset that, so that you might be net zero at the end, but it doesn't matter because you still get access to that asset, right? Mm -hmm. You still have it long term. It makes sense in the beginning. You're just getting slaughtered. So that's just what it was. I'm like, look, it didn't matter. So we went to the, the hard money guy and he he's like, yeah, no problem. And he started funding a ton of these projects, which was awesome because he would fund 90% of the purchase and 100% of the rehab. So I'm sitting here thinking wow. like, wait a minute here. That's a great I barely partner. have any money. Dude, there was times I went to closing and we'd walk away with money. <laughs> it wow. was crazy. Yeah. Right. But anyway, yeah. the point is at a certain point at 67, we, we ran them out of money. He's like, dude, I can't lend anymore. I don't have any. I don't have any. <laughs> so you can, like, you can right, find cool. more. But that put a whole other pressure on the situation because now I've got millions out in hard money mm -hmm. and I have a 12 month term and I have no experience with finding new banks or refinancing. I have one bank often. And uh, I was like, you, you, you got to pound the pavement. That, that part of my life was. Oh man, you talk about calling everybody you can possibly find in a phone book, not phone yep. book, but on the internet yep. everywhere, yep. right? Yep. Working with everybody. Those, those were the, the most stressful times of my life. 
thinking about this because they're coming for your house. I have personal guarantees and all this stuff. Yep, they're coming yep. for my house. They're coming for my business. They're coming for everything. If I don't come up with these, these millions of dollars in loans and get this stuff paid off, and they're not going to extend me either. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh boy. So that forced, again, ready, fire, aim. Now it's the fire part again. Let's get this done. Let's go and find I these lenders. Say, yeah. With, with God's grace, it all lined out and we we paid them all off in time. And now they're all into long-term debt, thank goodness, before this crazy it's, rise. What yeah. a ride. But 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 you jumped. You like yeah. this is what I, I try and tell people all the time. There comes a point on the journey where you just have to jump and you just have to what, what does Steve Harvey say? Steve Harvey gave a great quote. And we can wrap up on this, but Steve Harvey gave a great quote and he said, Look, at some point you gotta jump. You have to jump off the cliff yeah. and you have to understand that when you are falling down off the cliff, you're gonna hit the edge of the the, the cliff. You're gonna slide down those rocks, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna, it's gonna pierce your skin, it's gonna break a bone. But at some point at the bottom, just like you just talked about, your wings are going to start to open and then you're going to start to fly. But people are so afraid of the initial leap and the bumps and bruises. They can't even see the fact that they just go down the journey. The wings are going to open to the extent of having 67 homes that are now stable and refinanced and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So thank you for sharing that. And I do want to wrap that up just by saying, man landscaper let's say i'll I'll just call it outside entrepreneur but outside entrepreneur who recognizes that money should go into some other kind of investment such that it's being it will take care of self and family and even community for later on in life there's nothing wrong with being a youtube sensation or any of those things people are making you know hand over fist money but put it into something that's stable put it into something that will cause impact in community and I love that about you, man. And I'm really happy you came on to Try Life On because it's a little bit different of a story, but it's a great story nonetheless. And people have their own past, but the fundamentals are the same. Take a shot on yourself. Live. Be faithful to your family. Be faithful to your business. Run a good business. Get into persistent assets. Live your life extremely well and give back by telling your story. Josh, I really appreciate you took the time to tell your story, man. It's a good one. And I loved it, man. Thank you. and. You asked right in the very beginning, I don't want to wrap it up here, but you asked in the very beginning about, or said in the very beginning about the why, right? The why is the most important part because that'll take you through everything. Because when you can dig deep, when things get tough, like me having millions against me, thinking like, why am I doing it? You may lose everything to do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to think that I had to look in my voice and know that I will not get to, to make sure that my family was, you know, financially stable and not yeah. stable in the sense of just enough financially free was my target. And at Love 43 it. May yeah. of May of 2021, I, we achieved that goal through the real estate. Right. Awesome. And that happened because awesome. of a re- And so I'll leave with this last quote that I live by. Henry Ford said it. If you believe you can, or you believe you can't, you're right. Woo! Josh, if people want to reach out to you, where, where can they find you? How do, how, do they, how do they track you down? You can take a look on Instagram. I am Joshua Gillow. You'll see me on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook. That's probably your best bet to, to look there. Yeah. And re- reach out to me, DM me, whatever. If, if this story resonates with you, I'm, I'm here to help. I, I, I'm just here to help because it was because people like my mentors and even like this conversation that I've had with many people, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? To, to, mm-hmm. since I heard that it started to help me and I'm here to help people. I'm not here to, it's not a sales pitch. I don't want to sell you shit. Yep. All I want to yep. do is try to 
to help you because there's people that helped me that got me to where I am. And I just want to continue to pass that and play that forward. Cause I believe that we all, each one should teach one something. We all have different journeys. I, I, I'm totally with you, man. And I keep telling people very successful people and that's success isn't a dollar figure. It's, 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 it's relative to people's journey, but very successful people tend to always want to give back that shines through to, to you. So if Josh resonates with you, if that story resonates with you, you're looking for more information, reach out to my man, Joshua, but again, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Try Life On podcast. It's been my pleasure. If anything you need at any time, find me on social, send me an email to maurice at trylifeon.com and I'll get back to you. But for now, thank you for joining. And my man, Josh, you have an awesome, awesome day, brother. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you, Maurice. All right. Hey guys, this is Maurice, host of the Try Life On podcast. And thank you for listening to another episode. I hope you are finding it useful in helping you design your own lifestyle that you don't need a vacation from. If that's the case, please consider dropping a review for me, whether in Apple, iTunes, or in Spotify. Drop a review, put some stars on it. Give me some feedback on how I can make the podcast better, what information you are looking for. I am doing my best to get information to you on the Tri-Life on Principles, the five freedoms, how to build lifestyle, travel hacking, all of it. And I want to do it for you. So please do a review for me. And until next time, my name is Maurice Philogene, and this is the Tri-Life On Podcast. Peace.